welcome to another episode of Macabre for Mortals. I hope you all found the last episode informative. This episode is part two of the two-part series on dissociative identity disorder. So if you have not listened to part one, then please pause and give a listen as it gives the background of the disorder as well as how the media accurately or rather inaccurately portrays it. This week, I will be discussing the role of dissociative identity disorder in criminal cases. And I will actually be showing both sides of the cases of people who are criminals who have claimed that they have the dissociative identity disorder. And also, I'm going to be focusing mainly on one case of a victim who actually coped by using her dissociative identity disorder. criminals have used some wild excuses to explain away their crimes. Ethan Couch said he suffered from affluenza. Dan White blamed junk food. Well, not exactly. But perhaps the most controversial defense to this day is the dissociative identity disorder, previously known as multiple personality disorder. There is an enormous amount of suspicion surrounding the dissociative identity disorder, as a lot of psychiatrists believe that people who suffer from this condition splinter their personality to deal with trauma, often during childhood. By this definition, someone with dissociative identity disorder could conceivably commit horrific crime and not even know it because one of their multiples or alters did it instead. However, skeptics believe criminals lie about having this disorder to avoid consequences And it probably doesn't help that the character in pulp movies like Fight Club and Identity and the new film that was out a few years ago, Split, all have it. Still, some courts have actually accepted this plea. I'm going to discuss three of these real-life cases that show this, but two of the other prove that dissociative identity disorder remains a highly contagious legal defense. Billy Milligan. Most people trace the dissociative identity disorder or the multiple personality disorder defense back to Billy Milligan. Milligan was hauled into court on in 1978 on several counts of rape, aggravated robbery and kidnapping. His case soon garnered national attention when his lawyers pursued a plea of insanity, arguing that two different personalities had committed the crimes, not Milligan. This defense was highly unusual for the time, but it actually worked. Milligan was found not guilty, and the judge committed him to a psychiatric hospital. He escaped for four months in 1986, and was released back into the community in 1991, and then he died from cancer in 2014. Psychiatrists have suggested that Milligan had as many as 24 personalities, including a Yugoslavian multinationals expert, and a three-year-old girl. Milligan's life was also the subject of a non-fiction book, The Minds of Billy Milligan, which has 
long been a movie in development. And if Leonardo DiCaprio had his way, he would actually be starring as Milligan. Juanita Maxwell. Juanita Maxwell's legal problems began in 1979 when she was charged with beating a 73-year-old woman to death. The murder occurred at the hotel where Maxwell worked as a maid, where the woman in question, Inez Kelly, lived. But Maxwell insisted she hadn't killed Kelly. Her brasher personality, Wanda Weston, had. Whereas Maxwell came off as quite quiet and prim, Weston was chatty and bragged about smoking weed. She had no problem admitting on the witness stand that she had bludgeoned Kelly with a lamp because the woman refused to return a pen. Juanita Maxwell's transformation on the stand spooked onlookers and the court found her not guilty by reason of insanity. Juanita was committed to a mental ward with the full support of her husband, Sammy. Yet, in 1988, soon after she was released, she was landed in jail for robbing two banks in St. Petersburg, Florida. By that point, she had seven personalities, but Wanda was still pinned as a culprit for the crimes. Billy Joe Harris. When Billy Joe Harris was arrested in 2011, police called him one of the most wanted men in Texas. Others knew him as the Twilight Rapist for his early morning assaults on elderly and disabled women. His DNA linked him to multiple attacks and burglaries spanning two years and several countries. Harris insisted he was not a serial rapist, though rather it was one of his alters. According to Psychology Today, Dr. Colin Ross testified in court that he believed Harris had dissociative identity disorder with reservations. He said he questioned Harris's insanely high scores on the screening tests for dissociative identity disorder, which were administered by the defense attorney, not Ross, and had caught Harris in lies about his personal life. Clearly, everyone else in the courtroom had suspicions too. Some jurors suppressed laughter when Harris became Bobby, another one of his alleged personalities on the stand. Worse still, he was recorded in a phone call to his girlfriend bragging about putting on a good show in court. The judge tossed out Ross's testimony and the jury convicted Harris. He received a light sentence which he has tried to appeal so far with no success. Dwayne Wilson. The case against Dwayne Wilson began on September 20th, 2005, when his nephew Paris called the police. The boy explained that his uncle had stabbed him, his brother, his sister, and his mother in their New Jersey home. Paris was the only survivor. When Wilson's hearing commenced four years later in 2009, his lawyer argued that one of the defendant's three personalities, Kiko, had actually committed the murders, 
and that Wilson could not be held responsible for the crimes. But the judge rejected his argument and sentenced William to Wilson to 40 years in prison. And lastly, Thomas Husky. Thomas Husky was known as Zuman among prostitutes in Tennessee. I say prostitutes because this is how it was noted down. I understand that they are sex workers. He was noticed as this because he used to work in the elephant barn at Knoxville Zoo. But this whimsical nickname turned sinister when Husky was charged with a string of murders. He confessed to killing four women and was accused of raping and robbing two more. Police also recovered jewellery they believed Husky had taken off his victims' bodies as souvenirs. Husky's attorneys, however, insisted that their client had not confessed, kept trophies, or done anything wrong. The perpetrator was Kyle, his alter personality. The first jury to hear this case could not reach a consensus on the murder, and the prosecution eventually gave up on those charges. But Husky was convicted of the rapes he committed before the murders and sentenced to 64 years in prison. The Knoxville News Sentinel called his case one of the most expensive in state history because it stretched over the two, the two cases and also stretched over many years. I think as we can see from these cases that as the cases become more into the present day, the more sceptical that jurors seem to be and also judges of mental disorders and having the plea of pleading of insanity as being something that can be used. I think it is sad because I think some people do obviously have the dissociative identity disorder. But yet again, I don't think that it is all criminal acts that they can do. As I explained last week, a lot of these personalities come out from being subjected to a lot of abuse as a child. And I understand that there are, there are personalities that are slightly more confident and I will discuss this another time, but sometimes children who are abused then become abusers themselves because that's all they've known. But this isn't the general case. This is a very minute proportion. So I think I wanted to share with these is it seems to be the cases in the 1970s were the perpetrators were actually put into mental hospitals and hopefully given the help that they needed and then the ones who have been more in the present day their acceptance of that hasn't actually been believed but in some of the cases I don't think they certainly did have dissociative identity disorder but I do believe that it is actually a disorder which is out there and I do feel that if people do come to court and it is found that they do have some sort of mental illness. I think this may be not a reason for being not guilty for reason of insanity, but I think this certainly should be diagnosed and they should certainly receive the help that they obviously do need. I think this is important a lot for rehabilitation and actually going back into the community.
The woman who created 2,500 personalities to survive. I'm just going to be discussing a case of Jenny Hayes. This is the first case that's really come out in Australia of dissociative identity disorder. And I really just wanted to give you some of her words and some of my insights into her case. And to at the end discuss all the different parts of what she went through. So she is actually on the other side of the case. So she is actually the victim. There was only one woman in the witness stand that day, but out of her came six people prepared to testify about the extreme abuse that she had suffered. I walked into court, I sat down, I made the oath. Then a few hours later, I got back into my body and walked out, Jenny Hayes. As a child, Jenny was repeatedly raped and tortured by her father, Richard Haynes, in what Australian police said is one of the worst child abuse cases in the country. To cope with the horror, her mind used an extraordinary tactic, creating new identities for her to detach from the pain. The abuse was so extreme and so persistent, she says that she ultimately generated 2,500 distinct personalities to survive. At the landmark trial in March 2019, Jenny confronted her father to present evidence against him through her personalities, including a four-year-old girl named Symphony. It is believed that this is the first case in Australia and perhaps the world where a victim with diagnosed multiple personality disorder or dissociative identity disorder has testified in their other personalities and secured a conviction. We weren't scared. We had waited such a long time to tell everyone exactly what he did to us, and now he couldn't shut us up, she said. On the 6th of September, Richard Haynes, now 74, was sentenced to 45 years in jail by a Sydney court. Jenny always said that she wasn't safe in her own head. The Haynes family moved from Blexley Heath in London to Australia in 1974. Jenny was four years old, but her father had already begun his abuse. And in Sydney, this escalated into sadistic near-daily violations. My dad's abuse was calculated and it was planned. It was deliberate and he enjoyed every minute of it. Jenny told the court in a victim impact statement in May. She waived her anonymity rights as a victim of abuse so her father could be identified. He heard me beg to stop. He heard me cry. He saw the pain and terror he was afflicting upon me. He saw the blood and the physical damage he caused. And the next day, he chose to do it all again. Richard Haynes also brainwashed his daughter into thinking that he could read her mind. He threatened to kill her mother, brother and sister if she ever even thought about the abuse, let alone told them. My inner life was invaded by my dad. I couldn't even feel safe in my own head, Jenny said. I could no longer examine what was happening to me and draw on my own conclusions.
She composed her thoughts through song lyrics to hide, to try and hide them. He ain't heavy, he's my brother, while worrying about her siblings. Do you really want to hurt me? Do you really want to make me cry when thinking about her ordeal? Her father restricted her social activities at school to minimise the other adult oversight. Jenny learned to keep to herself, small and silent, because if she were to be seen, such as when her swimming coach approached her father to encourage her natural talent, she would be punished. Jenny was also denied medical care for her injuries from beatings and sexual abuse, which have developed into serious lifelong conditions. Now aged 49, Jenny has irreparable damage to her eyesight, jaw, bowel, anus, and coccyx. These have required extensive surgeries, including a colonoscopy operation in 2011. The abuse would continue until Jenny was 11, when the family moved back to the UK. Her parents divorced shortly after, in 1984. She believes no one, not even her mother, was aware of what she was going through. He was actually abusing Symphony. Contemporary Australian experts refer to Jenny's condition as the dissociative identity disorder and said that it is heavily linked to the experiences of extreme abuse against, against a child in what is supposed to be a safe environment. Dissociative identity disorder really is a survival strategy, Dr. Pam Stravapoulos, a child trauma expert, told the BBC. It serves as a very sophisticated coping strategy that is widely regarded as extreme. But you have to remember, there is, this is a response to extreme abuse and trauma that the child has undergone. The earlier trauma and the more extreme the abuse, the more likely it is that the child has to rely on the dissociation to cope, leading to these multiple self-states. The first personality Jenny says she developed was Symphony, the four-year-old girl who, she says, exists in her own time reality. She suffered every minute of dad's abuse when he abused me, his daughter Jenny. He was actually abusing Symphony. As the years went on, Symphony created other personalities herself to endure the abuse. Each one of what would be hundreds and hundreds of personalities had a particular role in containing an element of the abuse, whether it was a particularly horrifying assault or a triggering sight and smell. An altar would walk out the back of Symphony's head and take on the distraction. My altars have been my defences against my father. It's while discussing this that Symphony presents about half an hour into our conversation. Jenny had warned that this might happen and there is a sign when it does. She struggles to articulate an answer before transitioning. Hello, I'm Symphony. Jenny's got into a pickle. I'll come and tell you all about it if you don't mind, she says in a rapid burst. Symphony's voice is higher, her tone is brighter, more girlish and breathless. We talk for 15 minutes and her microscopic re recollection 
of decades-old events around daddy's nastiness is astounding. What I did was I took everything I thought was precious about me, everything important, lovely, and I hid it from daddy, so that when he abused me, he wasn't abusing a thinking human being, Symphony said. Some of the personalities are also muscles. A teenager styled like Billy Idol. He is tall and wears clothes to show off his strong arms. He is calm and protective. Volcano, a very tall and strong man and clad from top to toe in black leather and he has bleached blonde hair. Ricky is only eight but wears an old grey suit. His hair is short and bright red. Judas is short with red hair. He wears plain grey school trousers and a bright green jumper. He always looks like he is about to speak. Linda or Maggot. She is tall and slender, wearing a 1950s skirt with a pink poodle upper cheeks. Her hair is in an elegant bun and she has tapered eyebrows. Rick wears huge glasses, the same sort Richard Haynes used to wear. They dwarf his face. As I said earlier, in March, Jenny was allowed to testify in court as Symphony and five other personalities, each of which would have shared different aspects of abuse. The trial was heard by a judge only, because the lawyers considered the case to be too traumatising for a jury. Hayes initially faced 367 charges, among them multiple accounts of rape, buggery, indecent assault, and carnal knowledge of a child under 10. Jenny and her personalities would have been able to provide detailed evidence on every single offence in court. The separate identities have helped her to preserve memories that might otherwise have been lost to trauma. Prosecutors also had lined up a range of psychologists and experts in dissociative identity disorder to give evidence about the condition and reliability of what Jenny would say. My memories as a person with multiple personality disorder are as pristine today as they were the day that they were formed, Jenny told. Our memories are just frozen in time. If I need them, I just go and pick them up. Symphony had intended to relive, relive an excruciating detail the particulars of the crimes over the seven years in Australia. Muscles, a barely 18-year-old strongman, would have given evidence of physical abuse, while Linda, an elegant young woman, would have testified on the impact of Jenny's schooling and relationships. Symphony was hoping to use the testifying to grow up too. But we only got through to 1974 before he rolled over and showed his belly and he couldn't deal with it. About two and a half hours into Symphony's testimony on the second day of the trial, her father changed his plea to guilty on the 25 charges 
The worst ones, said Jenny. Dozens more were counted towards his sentencing. Multiple personality disorder saved my soul. It's a landmark case because as far as we're aware, it's the first time in which the testimony of different parts of a person with dissociative identity disorder have been taken at face value into the court system and actually led to a conviction. This was a statement from Dr. Kathy Kelsman, the president of Blue Knot Foundation, an Australian organization helping survivors of childhood trauma. Jenny had first reported the abuse in 2009, and it took 10 years for the police investigation to culminate in Richard's Hayes conviction and jail link. He was extradited from Darlington in northeast England in 2017, where he had served a seven-year sentence for another crime. He had been living among Jenny's extended family, whom he cast as his daughter a liar and a manipulator. Since learning of the abuse, Jenny's mother, who divorced Haynes in 1984, has become her strongest supporter in her pursuit of justice. But for decades, Jenny had struggled to receive help for her trauma. She said that counsellors and therapists turned her away because her story sparked disbelief or was so traumatic that they couldn't deal with it. Despite being widely accepted an evidence-backed diagnosis these days, dissociative identity disorder commonly raises doubt among the general public and even some medical circles. The nature of the condition is such that it does generate disbelief, incredulity and discomfort about the causes of it, partially because people find it hard to believe that children can be subjected to such extreme abuse. That's why Jenny's case is so important because it's bringing the wider awareness of this very challenging but not uncommon condition that is still insufficiently released. Jenny says that her multiple personality disorder or her dissociative identity disorder saved her life and saved her soul. But the same condition and her underlying trauma have also resulted in great hardship. She has spent her life studying, getting a master's and a PhD in legal studies and philosophy, but she has struggled to manage full-time work. She lives with her mother, both of them reliant on their welfare pensions nearby. In Jenny's victim impact statement, she said she and her personalities spent our lives being wary, constantly on guard, we have had to hide our multiplicity and strive for consistency in behaviour, attitude, conversation and beliefs, which is often impossible. Having 2,500 different voices, opinions and attitudes is extremely hard to manage. I should not have to live like this. Make no mistake, my dad caused my multiple personality disorder. Jenny sat metres away from her father in court on the 6th of September 2019 to see him sentenced to 45 years. Haynes, who is suffering from poor health, will serve at least 33 years before he is eligible for parole. Sentencing Judge Sarah Huggett 
said that Haynes would likely die in jail. His crimes were profoundly disturbing and perverted and completely abhorrent. Jug Huggett said that it was impossible for the sentence to reflect the gravity of the harm. I passionately want my story told, Jenny said before the sentencing. I want my 10-year struggle for justice to literally have been the fire that ripped through the field so that people behind me have a much easier road. If you have a multiple personality as a result of abuse, justice is now possible. You can go to the police and tell and be believed. Your diagnosis is no longer a barrier to justice. who has listened to the last episode and this episode can understand just how complex the dissociative identity disorder actually is and how I don't think it can be just simply simplified as a lot of the media or films have actually portrayed it. I do believe that people could just have one different personality and Actually, I think many of the population, you actually do have different personalities. I certainly represent myself differently when I'm at home to when I'm in a work situation. And could that not be considered as a different personality? But let me just pull this back a bit. I think reading that story of Jenny Hayes has, I don't know, it really made me understand a bit more the lifelong impact that that has had on her the way that she had to come like she had to deal with the emotional abuse and the physical abuse when she was a child and how she compartmentalized it but how it has actually affected her whole life how it's affected her trust in people even now where she can't maintain the full-time job Whenever I've heard any discussion of dissociative identity disorder, I've always heard of it as the perpetrator who has always tried to say that they have this disorder. But as this story shows, I truly believe it's probably more victims of abuse, of crimes that actually may develop this disorder because of the horrific things that they I've had to go through. So maybe that's something that I think that I would like to shift my thought in. That yes, a lot of these people can, uh, can, I don't know, give up the excuse, I think, of not guilty for reasons of insanity or diminished responsibility. But I also... I think it should be well this victim now is going to have to go through something very psychological if they've survived the events and also this is an actual potential disorder which they could actually develop in later life 
even have already developed, just not realized it. This has been a bit confronting for me as well, I think, to also go over what I have previously understood about dissociative identity disorder. Well, when I was studying, it was certainly called multiple personality disorder. But I think the dissociative identity disorder is definitely something that could be. I, I Actually, I think it is a better term. And I don't think it is just singular to, pe to people who have the disorder. I think a lot more of the population actually could have this disorder. And maybe now that we're just learning to accept it, we can accept those different, we always say different parts of our personality. But is it a completely different identity altogether? I don't know. I think it's something that definitely still needs looking into. My sources this week were an article from BBC News Sydney. I'll put the link in my show notes and also an article from Mental Floss about the criminals who have claimed to have multiple personality disorders. Thank you for listening to another episode of Macabre for Mortals. I know it has been a quite heavy two episodes. It's been lots of information and even today's was not graphic, but it can be quite triggering to people who have been through forms of abuse. So next week, I'm probably just going to rein it back and cover something a little bit lighter, maybe something into folklore. I was considering doing the folklore of fairies, just coming into springtime and doing that lighter thing just to start off April at that little bit lighter. Um, so I will be probably covering that. But then after that, I am going to do a series on narcissistic personality disorder, and I think that would probably be a three-part series as it is quite a wide subject and it is a little bit more widely known than I think dissociative identity disorder. So if you'd like to discuss anything with me at all about what you've thought, thought of these two-part episodes or if you have anything that you would like me to cover in the future, then please just drop me an email at macarvemortals at gmail.com. Also, if you could give me a rate, a review, a subscribe, that would be fabulous. I've been seeing my numbers go really drastically up recently, which is really positive. And it's very gratifying to me because these episodes, even though they may only be half an hour long, they do take up a little bit longer, but I enjoy doing them. I feel like I am expanding my knowledge as well. I hope you all have an absolute fabulous week and we're leading up into Passover this weekend for all my Jewish listeners and then we have Easter for any of my Western Christians or even just people who celebrate the holiday of Easter. Thank you again for listening. Bye now.